I think having that type of structure to be able to think about things you're not willing to budge on make the process of committing to things easier because it's a binary function for me. Does this amplify, express, give me the freedom to live this value out, yes or no? If it's gray, it's just a no. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. It was a handful of months ago now that we had our first ever Path for Growth retreat, and it was so cool for so many reasons. It was the first time that we've ever had members from our impact-driven online community all together in the same place. Uh, We had such intentional uh, content and conversation. We got to spend time outside. We had wholesome and healthy food. But I'll tell you, as awesome as all of that was, it was magnified and amplified by the place that we hosted the retreat. You see, whenever we were kind of talking about this as an idea, myself and our COO, Zach, were kind of having a conversation about the fact that it would be so cool to find a place that shared kind of some of our brand values, but also our cultural values as a business. And so we went hunting for it. And specifically, Zach did some work to kind of try and see if he could find a place that stood out as aligning in those arenas. And I was kind of thinking in the back of my head, there's no way we're going to be able to find this perfect Goldilocks spot to be able to have this retreat. And I kid you not, uh, he texted me back a couple days later and he was like, I think I got it. (laughs) And I was like, okay, yeah, right, man. And then he texted me this link to a place called Kinship Landing in Colorado Springs. And I'll tell you, I fell in love with the website almost immediately. And then it was where we ended up hosting our retreat. And it just served as this incredible location. The vibe of the space, the aesthetics of the space were just incredible. The fact that it's in Colorado Springs, which is just an adventure town, was awesome. But then more than all of that, what stood out to me as so impressive and so aligned with regard to what we're trying to create was the culture of the founders and the team of people that were involved. We just believed that culture is the shared values and behaviors of a team. And what was so cool is that the staff at Kinship Landing, man, they had a culture that was alive and well. And it was in our time there at the retreat that myself and our members got to spend time with one of the co-founders of Kinship Landing, Bobby Mikolas. And and Bobby has just become a leader that I deeply respect and have already learned a lot from. We cover so much ground in this conversation today from the startup story of Kinship Landing to the use of values in your personal life and in your leadership. But I'll tell you, the thing that stands out throughout the whole conversation is really just just a sense of confident humility. And uh, I felt like the best way to kind of start this conversation was really to zoom in, not just on Kinship Landing where it stands right now, but really where it came from. I will do my best to talk about this in a linear storyline like we love to subscribe to here in the West. We spent some time (laughs) in the East where life and thinking is much more circular. And that's how I I think things tend to be in general. So I'm going to talk in a linear progression, but the story's genesis, you know, it could start at my business partner's upbringing. It could start, you know, 10 years ago, but we'll we'll talk about a a genesis that starts uh, somewhere around the world about five years ago and know that there's just a ton of context and characters outside of that story that inform where we are today besides just this. But, but the linear answer to your question is that my wife, Brooke, and I were born and raised in Colorado Springs. And when we got engaged in 2009, we'd both been really impacted by some international travel that we'd been able to do in our life. Never together but it was a huge part of who we were. So when we got engaged, we started chucking money in an envelope for a trip that we wanted to take to be able to have that same type of experience together, knowing that it just grows and bonds and changes you so much. So seven and a half years later, we had saved enough money to be able to uh, exit our careers at that time, take an intentional pause, and we were aiming for a year off. So our goal was to take a year off, travel in the world, And the intent of that trip was really to connect with people all around the world who we didn't know yet, who we did know yet, and learn and listen and understand different ways of living, different ways of thinking, and sort of take a zoom out from the way we live here in the United States of America. There's a philosopher I really like named Edmund Husserl, 
And he uses this word epoche, which is like a bracketing of your life. Bracket it, step back, look at it. And that, that space for objective reflection, which you can never really get objective, but objective reflection is really important to me personally. And so this trip really was a space to step back, look at ourselves, look at our lives, look at the world in which we live and try and use that trip as a way to inform what might be next. We broke the trip intentionally into three segments. We were both running fast and hard in life. So the first three months we said, we're resting, just resting. That's it. And I would come up with these ideas like, hey, babe, what, what if we get back? She'd be like, ah, I'm resting. I'm <laughs> devoting no brain energy towards planning right now. I don't have the capacity to like think about logistics. And she's much more like operationally minded. And so when I come up with an idea, she's automatically thinking, how are we going to make this happen? And I'm just like, no, this just popped into my head. You shouldn't do that yet. So we rested and then we dreamed. Uh, we broke the middle chunk into dream. And that's where there was like anything that you might think about for the future, throw it at the wall. Let's start socializing it with our friends who we meet and with each other and thinking on it. And so we just dreamed about anything and everything for a good chunk of time, couple of months. And what emerged was two or three ideas for what might be next in our life. And these ideas didn't really overlap. And so we eventually just had to look at each other and be like, let's just pick one, just pick one of them and go all the way. And those other ones might happen in our life. I hope that they do. I'm really hoping that one, one in particular happens, but we knew we could only do one well. And a good friend of ours um, asked us this question. They said, you know, Bobby and Brooke, these are all great ideas. You're, you're going to come back to Colorado Springs. It sounds like you've decided that. What are you uniquely qualified to do here in Colorado Springs that no one else can do? And in thinking about that question, we landed on one of these three ideas, which was to bring a hospitality concept back to Colorado Springs aimed at really meeting the needs of the modern traveler and benefiting the local community. And that trip was in the process of qualifying us to relate to the modern traveler in a lot of ways. And our pre previous experience in heart and passion in life for community development was a good uh, convergence. So we decided halfway through our trip, let's, let's play with a hospitality concept. That was ranging all the way from like campsite, Airbnb to, you know, maybe a hostel, and so we spent the last three months of our trip workshopping this idea, really rudimentary business plans. We came back to Colorado Springs, hit the ground running, and immediately started to build a team. Uh, Jason Phillips and Nate Grimm are our two co-founders, longtime friends, and we hired a consultant to be with us for a first year of startup. So the five of us, that founding team, are the ones who really put legs on what was birthed in Vietnam. We said, we're in, we're all in on this. That was like the genesis of the idea and the real legs and the form of that heart and passion for hospitality started to take shape as we sat down and started looking at data and other models and inspiration with Nate and Lauren and Brooke and myself. Man, uh, we, I feel like we could spend the entire hour picking apart that answer that you just gave us. There's so many parts. There's so many parts Mostly because there's so many fun stories. Like we didn't uh, even talk about food and play and all that fun stuff, but yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. Well, and I mean, like, yeah, you kind of blew my mind just by telling, talking about the fact that we think linearly, but it's not linearly in the beginning. It's like, okay, well, that's a whole episode right there, I feel like. But I think one thing that's really, really interesting to me is just uh, just the fact that I, I think I read and I think you alluded to this too. Like y'all saved for seven years for that trip to be able to occur the way that it did. Is that right? And y'all were focused for seven years on like we want to do this in the future. Is that right? We did, yeah. And you know, I could talk a lot about that. We've got a whole philosophy of saving for goals, and uh, we actually wrote a blog about how we saved and what we did. Um, Oh, really? So I That's could reference cool. that. We, we called it nine ways to make long-term travel a reality. And a lot of those lessons learned are in that blog. I'll send you the link to that. It's just on kinshiptravels.com uh, slash blog. And you can, you can find that there, but it's a whole saga of saving and then having to throw all that money into a medical bill or all that money into an insurance mm. or, or, you know, it doesn't mean that we, but, and it also talks about the amount we saved and how it's not $200,000. It's like, $50 a day for 10 months, 12 months. So happy to tap into that more a little bit in another, another time maybe, but. Yeah, we'll put the link to that in the show notes too. I think the thing that I'm so curious about there is I, like, I love that whole idea is of we, we can often 
underestimate what can be accomplished in 10 years, but overestimate what can be accomplished in 10 minutes. And it's just the idea that y'all had a sense of commitment about you that it's like, man, years from now, we want to do this thing. And I think sometimes it's really easy to not have the stick-to-itiveness to make something like what y'all made happen, happen. And so what, like, what was y'all's mindset to be able to not not even just create the plan, but execute on the plan so that you were able to go on this year-long trip. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, some of that really is answered that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just hit on some of the points I've talked about in the past. You know, when you're thinking about something that's 10 years away, for us, it was hopefully five years away. It ended up being seven and a half. But uh, there's a few things that come to mind. And for me, the first one is talk about it like it's real. So when we set this goal, we started talking to people and we'd say, hey, I'm Brooke, I'm Bob Cool, what's your name? Yeah, tell me about yourself. Well, we're getting married. Uh, sometime in the next five years, we're going to travel the world for a year. And you know, I'm, I'm in uh, real estate school right now and we're undergrads at University of Colorado. And it was just part of our future reality. And I, I really subscribe to speech action theory and linguistics is, is a really powerful thing to be able to understand how that shapes action in our life. And so when you talk about something as if it's real, it starts to shape your reality, your vision of the future and also others. And, and they see that as a fixed thing in the future and their, their reality can be informed around that. And they start to ask questions like, where are you going? Instead of how are you doing that? Or did you know that's not possible? They just say, where are you going? And that reality starts to construct itself more and more and more. Um, and then doors start opening. Like, did you know I've got a friend in Vietnam? They love hosting people. And uh, hey, I heard about this credit card hack where you can like pay for your flights using miles. Have you, have you ever looked at millionmilesecrets.com? You should check that out. And it just starts to open up. So first rule number one, talk about it like it's real. And we yeah. did that with our startup too. When we got back from our trip, we said, hey, I'm Brooke, I'm Bobby. We're building a hotel here in Colorado Springs. Don't know where, don't know how. Don't know how much it's going to cost, but we are doing that. <laughs> so does that feel vulnerable doing that? Like, do you feel, because you're, by talking about it as though it's real, you don't get to now say, oh, we might be doing this and leave yourself a back door for if it doesn't go so well. Like, does it feel vulnerable doing that? And how do you, how do you conquer that? I think it does. Um, when it's something that you're all in for, you know, the, the vulnerability like if that's going to stop you, you're, you're not, you're not into it. It's not something that you want. So putting yourself out there like that means that success is the only option and that's it. Period. End of story. At the end of the day, you might fail. It might change. It might iterate and turn into something different or better than what you thought. But you know, in the startup world in particular, if, if you're doing something that might fail and that's an option in your mind, then you should probably just stop doing it right now because that's not an option in startup is to fail. Now the flip side of that coin is failure is not the worst case scenario. So <laughs> it's okay. But uh, I'm not sure if I directly answer your question. I mean, yes, it's vulnerable. Of course it's vulnerable. People look at you like you're weird. You start to question yourself, is this really going to happen? But I think talking about it like it's real with that confidence helps you live in to that commitment. Yeah. So what was the driving why and is it the same today for creating Kinship Landing and for talking about what you were going to create as it was real? Like what was the purpose that made it compelling enough for you as something that's worth pursuing? Yeah, I think the whys are slightly different. They're not exactly the same. Um, the why behind our trip around the world is independent from Kinship Landing. Uh, that was really personal development, curiosity, adventure, fun, Kinship landing is a little bit more focused and the why behind kinship landing is less discovery and more application of, of what we had landed on. So I'd say some of the why behind kinship landing is we want to change the ways and the whys that people travel. And we want to help uh, travelers around the globe shift the paradigm from consumption to contribution so that when you travel to a place, you are there to contribute to the thriving of that community instead of just to consume experiences, food, people's time, et cetera. And that came as a result of our trip because we found ourselves consuming more than we were contributing. And we were like, man, we're hurting this community that we love. We just, we didn't know it. We weren't intentional. So I would say kinship landing is um, more about a real clear goal. And the trip was more about a, a goal to allow space for discovery and exploration and rest. Mm -hmm. 
That I feel like everything that y'all do, just in having spent time in your space and around your team and with your staff and spending a little bit of time with you, I, one of the takeaways that I always have is it's just very distinctive, right? Like it's just clear y'all y'all know what you are about, and then you are being about the business of being that thing, and so. Is that a natural strength for you and Brooke and your co-founders or where did that level of distinction of knowing this is why we exist in the marketplace and this is the needs that we're meeting and this is how we're meeting it. Where did that come from, Bobby? I'd say it's a blend of both. You know, it's always a little bit of uh, nurture, a little bit of nature and my uh, personality and, and strengths tend to come out in communication and strategy and activation. And so strategic thinking and then being able to articulate that strategy in a way that's digestible and understandable and then activate those strategies. That's, those are three of my top kind of strengths if you use the strength finder profile. So the blend of those three things, I think looks like a really clear, do this, do that, do this. Here's why. Of course, it's never that clean. It's that circular. Let's go back to step one. And, um, but that's certainly part of who I am. A large reason that's part of who I am is I've been really lucky to have people in my life who've given me space to allow those things to breathe and grow and uh, mature leaders that I've been really lucky to work with who've, who've given me tools and resources I would, have other, would not have otherwise encountered. And I've also been really lucky in my life to have margin to be able to experiment with those things and see what trying on strategy looks like and feels like. And then on, on my team side, Nate is certainly like that. He's a strategic fella and a visionary fella. And uh, Brooke is, is good at like staying the course. That's where she really balances me out. So I can <laughs> come up with the strategy and talk about it and she can do a really good job of executing it and holding me accountable to do the same. So yeah, that's how I'd answer that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then, I, the other thing I would say that I was thinking, sorry to cut you off, but no, I am not generally the type of person who has that specificity that you referenced. I'm like all over the place, hundred different things. And the over the last 10 years, I've really learned to narrow that focus. And even like one way that can relate just super practically is I've intentionally narrowed my hobbies. I really want to bow hunt for elk. All my friends do it. They fill their freezer. It's this totally in line with the way I like to enjoy the wilderness, quiet, stealthy, hippie style of hunting. And I just don't have the time and margin to do that well and stick with my other hobbies like fly fishing and climbing. So I've chosen to narrow and just commit to a couple of hobbies for chunks of time. And if something is going to come on the plate, something else has got to go. Every yes is less. And so if I'm going to say yes to something else, I've got to say no to some other things. So there is a, I feel like there's a massive uh, gap between understanding that principle of less is yes and actually applying it and acting upon it. Like what had to occur inside of you to make you into the more focused person now that you're talking about? Because it sounds like you haven't always been that way. I haven't, no. I mean, like I said before, a lot of experimenting. I was really lucky to have a platform to experiment and I was working for a nonprofit here in town and we were working on these different community development initiatives. And the more I tried to do, the less impactful they were. And so we narrowed and narrowed and narrowed that focus um, and then did a couple things well. And I think the proof was enough for me to see like that's actually true. Doing one thing really well is more impactful, more meaningful, more effective than trying to do five things well and all of them like not being sustainable or not being effective or not being truly altruistic. Uh, so that experience was big. And then just resources and wisdom. There's a, uh, one of my kind of heroes is a guy named John Perkins. He and his friend Wayne Gordon started the Christian community development organization or association, I think. And they've got a really cool book called making community or making neighborhoods whole. And they've got these seven principles of Christian community development. But one common phrase from those two is if you want to see any impact in the world, give yourself 10 years focus on one thing and then pick your head up and you might've seen the needle move a little bit and then keep going. So just extending that timeline a little bit, I think is really not in my nature because I'm fast paced activator, but it's been learned and modeled by other people around me. I think that's how I latched onto that. 
Yeah. So with that, um, like whether it's an idea or a hobby or something that comes onto your radar as something that is requesting your time, what is the criteria that you now go through to say, okay, this is part of my focus or this isn't part of my focus so that you don't kind of deviate or spread yourself too thin? Yeah. Good question. I went through a, like a self imposed exercise when I was uh, 21 or 22 and I can't remember what sparked this in me. I was trying to figure out how my goals married with my lifestyle. And I never really have fit in a, in a box of an industry or, and I, I remember uh, spending about a month trying to nail down what were my core values in life as a human being that I would not budge on. And I emerged with things like stewardship, you know, care for myself, my body, my finances, the world, my friends, my relationship, honesty, you know, I emerge with these core values that begin to guide the way I think about the world and my space in the world that I, at the point in time, I was not willing to budge on those core values. And I think having that type of structure to be able to think about things you're not willing to budge on, make committing to things, the process of committing to things easier because uh, it's a, it's a binary function for me. Does this amplify, express, give me the freedom to live this value out? Yes or no. If it's gray, it's just a no. So that's, I think one answer is just like figure out what your values are and run that new hobby or idea through your set of values. And that's like the first gate is it doesn't align with your values. Gate number two is, do you want to do it? Yeah. And, and um, which that can actually be a more challenging, I, at least I, what I've noticed is for myself and for others, that can be a more challenging question to answer than you would expect sometimes is what you yep. actually want to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a few gates, but the values one is the first one for me. Does this, does this align with my values? Okay. So I did the exercise of creating personal core values whenever I was in college. And that's actually something that we now uh, work with leaders in our membership community on now is walking through defining your personal core values. One of the questions that I've thought about probably more recently is just kind of this idea that like my, my values haven't changed. And in some ways I, I have changed and I've grown and I have a greater awareness that I didn't have whenever I was a freshman in college. And so I've thought about, man, do my values and priorities feel different and look different now than they would have like those worked for Alex as a freshman in college. They don't work in the same way anymore. Like have you shifted or changed any as you've grown in awareness and grown in kind of um, the person that you've become and the things that you're walking into now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good exercise to revisit, you know, annually or biannually. So yeah, I'd say they have changed. Not much though, to be honest with you, the way I talk about them, or the words that I use to describe those values might have changed a little bit. Like for example, you know, honesty was a value way, way back in the day that could probably be replaced with integrity now, which Mm. encompasses honesty as part of that. There's a really great book called courage and it's by a guy named Gus Lee. And he, he kind of helps talk you through, I can't remember the way he describes it, but hard core values versus soft core values. I'll just use those words. He uses different ones, but ones that are shallow and will ultimately fall up short because you can be honest and be a jerk versus values that are going to be lasting like courage and integrity and trust and, and things that can be pretty universally subscribed to in a good way. Mm. And I assume that those values then operate like kind of as a decision-making framework for whenever you walk into ideas like kinship or the other things that are asking for your time and asking for your energy. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Got it. Yep. Very cool. Okay. So if we go to kind of the stage where you and Brooke and, and your co-founders have now said, okay, we're, we're committing to creating this, um, this arena for hospitality in the city of Colorado Springs. What, what does that like first year of action look like? And uh, associated with that, what were maybe some of the biggest lessons that you learned from kind of that first year, Bobby? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking. Great question. Could spend a ton of time. Uh, biggest lesson. One of the biggest lessons, there's so many, one of the biggest lessons, if you're doing a startup or a project, um, particularly a construction project or that type of thing, but let's just say any startup, I think a good rule of thumb after you've built your pro forma, you've got your business plan, 
you've factored in some margin and contingency there and you feel like you're being really conservative with your projections, right off the bat, take that, double your timeline, double your budget, period, end of discussion. And you've probably already done that, you know, and you think it's conservative. So take the, you think it's conservative model, double your timeline, double your budget. That's lesson number one. People told me that. And our response was like, we've done it. We've verified that our margin is, is really conservative and our contingency is thick compared to most people. Uh, but we ended up being twice, took twice as long and it cost twice as much almost to the T than what we came out with. So that's just one lesson. And, you know, if, if that seems excessive, uh, then just do it anyway and you'll be swimming in gravy uh, if, if you're right. And worst case, it'll still work if you're wrong. <laughs> it'll still pencil. <laughs> so I'd say that's just like really practical lesson one. Double your timeline, double your budget. That does relate to me as an individual as well because I'm so like I want it now. I had a friend recently and I was kind of lamenting to him some things I was bummed weren't moving as quickly as I thought they could. And he was, I said, you know, I guess I just need to lower my standards a little bit. And he kind of stopped me. and was like, no, no, don't lower your standards. Just stretch your timeline. It's going to take a little longer to hit those mm -hmm. standards. Just stretch your timeline, stretch your timeline a little bit. So that's the lesson that comes to mind. What that year looked like uh, was insane, um, fun, but practically we formed the LLC, we registered it with the state of Colorado. That felt like a mile mark moment. You have a business that you now own. We uh, formed a team, we hired a consultant and we started working on two projects simultaneously. One was putting down on paper what our core values are collectively. And then two was laying out a really bulletproof operating agreement so that we had something to fight over when the time came. I think that's a step that a lot of, entrepreneur skip is a well thought out, slow, surrounded by wisdom and counsel operating agreement. So most of the money we spent in the first year was on legal fees with really great attorneys and consultants who helped us build a recipe for relationship. That's what an operating agreement is. It's just your, your uh, commitments to each other relationally. And once we had an operating agreement and our core values defined and our pro forma, the financial modeling for what would become a, a sustainable business, we hit the ground running, pounding the pavement and starting to raise money. And um, we raised capital leading with our values as our first filter for who we pitched to and who we received funds from. And uh, we looked for people who were first and foremost interested in the community development component of the business who aligned with our core values and saw the bigger picture. So that's really what that first year was, was operating agreement, pro forma, core values, raising capital we did uh, purchase real estate in the first year as well. And that's a crazy story. If you want to get into that. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, if it's crazy story, I do want to get into that. Why is that so crazy, Bobby? Uh, well, we were, we were looking for locations. We had this boundary set up that we weren't willing to go out of and there was just nothing good. The built environment Colorado Springs is not, not great. Most of the old warehouses were torn down and there's not really an industry of manufacturing here. So we don't have those cool repurposed buildings that we were looking for. We were looking for a historical remodel. And um, a friend of ours said, hey, do you know this gal? You should go meet with her. She might be interested in, you know, just giving you some advice or something. We're sitting in her apartment and she points across the street at a blank piece of land and said, would that work for your hotel? <laughs> and we're kind of like, man, I don't, never really thought about building a new one from the ground up. But I, I mean, I guess it could and uh, by that point, we were just full of courage and gumption. And we, we were, I was like really driving our team really fast. We were on this fast track together. And so I told this gal, hey, look, I know you've tried to sell it before. I know, I know how much for, but we can't afford that. Not even close. So why don't you just take the weekend, think of your best price that you would ever do. And if we can afford it, we'll sign a contract. And if we can't, we won't. We won't do all this back and forth. Just tell us your best price. It works great. And if not, no problem. We'll skip a bunch of months of negotiating. She came back with a price that we could work with. We went under contract. Her, her agreement was you've got to close in 30 days. So we signed the contract thinking surely she'll extend once we're under contract to a 90 or 120 day period of due diligence. We might even be able to raise some money to actually buy this land in that time. And uh, she was like, Nope, 30 days. You got to close in 30 days. So we'd put, I think 10 grand down earnest money that would have been gone. And uh, so we had, 28 days to do all the due diligence on a piece of downtown land 
We had to reroute cranes and drills from all over the state to come do core samples 120 feet down and then beg on the phone with the labs to process the results and expedite that back, then convince you know, our team that this was a good purchase. And then we had to find a million bucks. We had raised uh, <laughs> some money by basically, you know, Brooke and I and our team had brought some cash to the table. Um, by cash, I mean debt. We leveraged assets we had and got more debt and brought that debt to the table. So I was uh, sitting in a hot tub with a friend of mine. I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this, man. I just don't know. Like I'm shaking the bushes. We don't have a pitch deck in place. Like this happened way faster than we thought. And, you know, I need a million bucks and I think it's a good buy if we can do this. So we will have a nice piece of collateral that we can leverage, but I don't know what to do. And a buddy of mine was like, well, um, I know a guy, he might be able to just give you a loan for a million bucks. Would you be into that? Like, is that, is that a real question? And so I met with a friend and he's like, yeah, I'll give you a loan for a million bucks, pay me back in six months. Otherwise the rate goes crazy. Basically, you know, a, a generous hard money loan. And we said, sure. And we bought the land 28 days later. And, and uh, that initiated like a two and a half year of financing madness. That's Golly. a short story. Yeah. When you say crazy, that's not an exaggeration at all. That's straight up crazy. That's a wild story. Uh, okay. Loco. So, so there's something about um, sitting in that woman's apartment and, uh, and saying like, we're not going to go back and forth. Why don't you just make us the best offer that you can? Like there's a level of conviction and internal confidence and also decisiveness that it takes to, to be able to make a statement about like that. And then to be able to execute over the course of 30 days on all these things that could have been tripping points for this whole thing to even occur. Is that level of decisiveness a learned skill? And how do you discern between courage and foolishness? Like, and, totally. and the fine line between the two. Yeah, man, that's a fun place to dialogue that tension. First question I heard in there, I do think part of this is part of my uh, nature. You know, I, I'm really lucky to function as the CEO of our company. So I was driving our team really hard. And luckily, they've got a huge tolerance for risk and pace as well. So it's not like it's outside of the realm of their comfort or that they wouldn't have done it without me. But I remember a mantra that I passed along from Facebook at the time. I was like, you know, during the Facebook early days, they just said, move fast and break stuff. And that's what we're <laughs> going to do for the next two years. We're going to move fast and we're going to break stuff. And I am so confident in our team's ability to problem solve that let's create problems worth solving. Like how do we find money? We don't have a problem of being under contract on this land anymore. We don't have the problem of needing to identify a location. All we have now is the problem of needing to find how to pay for it. We've already solved some problems. Now we got a new one and it's got parameters and constraints that make the problem, you know, bite size and not so big of just problem. Number one, how are we going to build a hotel? We've narrowed that down to how do we purchase this piece of real estate? So I do think, some of it is in my nature. Some of it is learned that conviction you were talking about, I think comes with just like the psychosis of startup of you just know it's going to work. And I do think there's a way of doing business as well that part of what happened to us on our around the world trip is it solidified our thinking that there's another, another way is possible. You're allowed to live a life that just says no to a lot of the BS of the world, the back and forth and, and the slightly dishonest haggling here, haggling there. There's a way to just be like, here I am. Where are you? Does it work? Great. And so that was definitely an approach that I kind of helped uh, help us slide into during the first months of, of the startup was just, we're going to do this. And if it works for you, great. And if not, that's okay. There's other people out there who it will. And we, we felt we had this deep conviction. There was, you know, somewhat of like a calling might even not be an appropriate word that we all felt like we were part of something bigger than us. We were stuck in this tide that was sweeping us up and we couldn't do anything about it. And things just kept happening. Like the land uh, that was like, man, we're, we just can't get out of this thing. Like the tide is rising on this project and we're just caught in the water and, and enjoying the ride. So but I think when you have that confidence and you've really defined what you're looking for and you know how to get there and, and there's an answer that works, I think a lot of doors open when you just walk in and, and put an aggressive uh, request out there. Folks tend to respond at least clearly to that with a strong yes or no, and you waste a ton of time 
on the maybes. Ma'am, what strikes me, just even hearing you talk about that, is I have heard similar mindsets be described in a way that sounds uh, unhealthy and arrogant, right? Mm-hmm. But you, but truly, like the way you're talking about it, I, I, uh, it honestly feels humble to me. And so I guess, um, like maybe it's an experience that y'all had in traveling, or maybe it's something that you've just picked up along the way, or you've admired in leaders. But what is that relationship between being able to be confident about the decisions that you're making while simultaneously carrying kind of a posture of humility? And what am I picking up on there? And and what's the difference between arrogance and and approaching it with humility? Yeah, I, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I can hear myself talk through both of those lenses. This guy is humble, or this guy is he's a psychopath, man. Like this guy's a sociopath. I can hear that and justify it both ways. I, I know myself well enough and I've wrestled some of those demons down to the ground where I can confidently say that for me, I think it's something like humility or confidence and not just narcissism, but it can definitely be read both ways. And it can be genuinely both of those things. There's a, a bunch of research out there that shows top performing CEOs in the United States Many of them are sociopath, narcissistic, many of them. And part of that is just this weird thing where they don't have the ability to experience the emotion of fear or the emotion of empathy. So the fear part I can relate to a little bit, the empathy less, but where that comes from for me is uh, like a deeper conviction and confidence that it's not up to me and it's not because of me. So I can be really confident because I know that the reason this is going to work is not ultimately because of me. It's going to be because, because it's the right thing at the right time. And a bunch of people are willing to put their time and energy and effort towards it and champion it as their own solution to a real need. And because there's something bigger than me pushing it forward, some great divine swell of energy and tide and uh, love and, and, you know, that spark of life that's going to carry this way beyond what any human being can, can do in this, this space we call planet earth. So that conviction for me is like, there's not a lot of glory to be had with that confidence because uh, anything that I'm doing or done is, is just gift. It's, it's part of how I was created. I didn't do anything for that. Or it's because of the generosity and grace of the people in the community around me, or that, that uh, just favor of the world and the universe being kind towards you. So I think you can be truly confident uh, in that way that's a little bit ambitious and forward and humble if you know that it's actually not you <laughs> that's making mm-hmm. this work and moving this forward. And it's, you're not the reason it's going to work. You're a small part of the project, but you're just a part of a bigger story and stewardship. Your, your role is just to steward that small part of the story that you have. And that might be to communicate the vision or to do the ask. Mm. So that's part of it, I think. And then reframing a uh, posture of humility as well. Sorry to cut you off, Alex, but a guy no, named uh, Patrick about 12 years ago, helped me understand humility. And this is not an all encompassing definition, but one way of thinking about it is hundred percent honesty with yourself. Mm. And uh, that's one posture of humility. So, you know, if I was like Michael Jordan, I could probably say I'm a world-class basketball player and that wouldn't be arrogant or uh, cocky. That would just be true. unless you're not unless you're not michael jordan in which case it's arrogant cocky you're a fool yeah that's a great correct correct yeah so if it's true you're good i mean if there's truth behind the things that you're saying we're going to build a hotel um this is what we can do this is the price we can do if there's true it's not like arrogant to say we can afford a million dollars it's just the truth of of what it is Dang, you're over here quoting uh, philosophers and world-class authors. And the quote that I had to pull from is Tony Robbins. But there's something that he says. He's great, man. He's, he's pretty remarkable, to say the least. But one of the things that he says is, uh, I heard it, gosh, it was a couple of years ago now. And he kind of said it in passing. And it just floored me when he said it, just because I feel like it's true. He said, the person with the most certainty always influences the other person. And I heard that and it's like, holy cow, whether, whether that is good or bad is kind of irrelevant because it is true. And it just like one of the things, one of the takeaways that I had around that is, man, have some things that you can be certain on. Like we are building a hotel. It's like, it, it's exactly what you're saying. There's a level of certainty in that that is rooted in healthy honesty and not rooted in delusion. I think 
there's something about when people start speaking with certainty around things that aren't certain that can become really, really unhealthy. Is that mm -hmm. like, have you seen that play out? And how do you guard yourself against the temptation to get too far out over your skis where you're no longer just saying we're building a hotel, but you start casting certainty for things that are way, way, way out of your control and you can't actually promise to people. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't know how to answer that question because you know, it's a good one. Like how do you not fall into the trap of talking about things that aren't ever going to be true? And how do you know if they are or not? I, I don't know There for me, there is like a, there's this, chunk of time that for me at least you build that conviction and you build that confidence and uh allowing the space for a year to tap out and rest and dream and plan with my partner in life and really listen and lean into that divine wisdom that's available to all of us that was a really important chunk of this where you know, we're not just plucking a dream out of the air. There's like a seed of conviction in us that this is happening. So that that's one thing that's a, a variable for me, that period of reflection and uh, cooperation with the divine flow of what is, is, is really important as you go out to start making these truth statements. The other part of it, I think, is just knowing that like, if it doesn't work, that's okay. <laughs> and if it's not okay that it doesn't work, then, then you're in trouble. So if you're going to be hurting people or hurting communities or hurting the world as a result of failure, then that's probably something to rethink. But for us, the worst case scenario was we have to move to another country <laughs> and like get out of this one and go live in Guatemala. That was our worst case scenario. Let's, let's go to another country. We know <laughs> we can contribute there. In the meantime, let's try it here. So we said for this two year window of experiment. We committed to two full years. We are going to go all in for two years, no matter what. For those two years, worst case scenario, we learn some new things and we make some new friends. Mm. And at the end of this, we've got new relationships and new skills that we didn't have when we started. We also might be bankrupt and that's a new problem to solve. We also might have to move out of our house or, or move out of the state or, you know, so I think as long as the worst case scenario is not going to like hurt other people. Um, I think it's okay to talk about things that might fail as long as you know, they won't. <laughs> mm, that's pretty powerful. Uh, it, it strikes me that it feels as though y'all do things and maybe this is intentional, maybe not, but y'all do things for chunks of time. It's like we're saving for five to seven years, right? We're doing this trip for a year. We have two years. Is that a hyper intentional thing? And where, like, mm. what is the thought process behind that? For me personally, I can't speak for Brooke or Nate or the rest of our company, um, but just for me personally, that's super intentional because without that, I just flounder. Uh, I just flounder. So if I don't have a clear benchmark for we're either going to re-up or be done or call it quits, then it's really hard for me to invest energy and time. Hmm. And it's really hard for me to stay focused. Throughout my career, I've made commitments in chunks of time like that. And it just gives me a playing field to go all out. You know, when you, when you step on the pitch for a soccer game, you've got 90 minutes with a 10 minute break in between. And so you can go all out uh, knowing that you don't have to budget for the next three days of running. You, you just budget for 45 minutes of running at a time. And so any race that doesn't have like a finish line <laughs> would be really hard for me to complete. And I think, uh, that's been helpful for me with my scatterbrain, distractible, want a piece of everything personality to have a really clearly defined time of focus has helped me stay focused. Mm. One more thing on this topic of decision-making, and then I want to get into the other piece that you talked about, which was the values of the business. Um, but we say all the time at the beginning of this podcast that our business exists to help impact driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And we tell our audience that like, you do not have to believe what we believe. And at the same time, we're not going to ignore what we believe. And we're really grateful that we have a really diverse audience listening to this in terms of faith background and things like that. But one of the things that I see oftentimes 
um, honestly, Christian business owners can be struggle with or be challenged by is maybe a sense of timidity associated with decision making because they want to make sure that they're operating in the quote will of God, right? And they want to make sure that the decisions that they're making are right. And sometimes they're waiting on this sign, right, to know yeah. what decision they should make yeah. or which way they should go. I I, I don't want to Man. frame a specific question here. I would just love to for you to kind of address that and give us your thoughts on that. Man, I can resonate so much with that because I, I, faith is super important to me. It's the first uh, thing that drives my life is my relationship to uh, the creator, to the, the author and sustainer of life. And so that's the first thing for me. And for the longest time, I was arrogant enough to think that the transformation and the reclamation of beauty in this world was up to me. Um, that it, That if you know, I was missing it. I had like a fear of missing it, not a fear of missing out, but a fear of missing it, missing my calling, missing the specific purpose that I was here and a massive reframing happened in my life. And that reframing was a couple of things. One was you're ridiculous to think that uh, if you're not part of the equation, it's not going to work. So get over that. It's not up to you and it's not because of you. (laughs) So just humble yourself and be lucky to be a cog in the wheel and be grateful that you have a role to play at all, or that you even get to witness this divine, you know, proclamation of kingdom in the world. Be lucky for that. So that's the first, just humbling of like, look, if you're paralyzed, I fear because you're afraid you might miss it. You can just get rid of that because it's not up to you. Let go of the burden of changing the world. Let go of the burden of helping people get connected to the things they need. Just show up be yourself, love people in front of you and let that burden slide on the shoulders of someone else who can probably carry the weight of the world. Cause that's not you. That was step number one is just reframing. It's not up to me. It is not up to me. So I'm not going to miss it. Other reframing number two, I'm not going to miss it because it is really broad. The, the road that I'm walking that like the path that includes why I'm here is so broad that there's a lot of different ways I could go in life and be on that path still. And that's like maybe a little countercultural to some stuff in Christian culture, but I translate that to almost everything. I think some people have a person that they're destined to marry. I think most people can choose to marry, choose to not both are good paths. And there's probably about a thousand people they could marry and be super happy and do a lot of good things. So uh, that whole like really specific calling and purpose and, I just don't really subscribe to that mindset. Like I think our our purposes and calling and success stories can be so much more broad. And I'm living in one of a million different realities I think would be super happy and uh, fruitful in my life. It's just one of a few because we picked one, but you know, you got to pick one and just start. And then of course that becomes the one, but. But man, what's crazy about that is, I mean, it should empower a sense of boldness but, and I think it does empower a sense of boldness because it's like, dang, I like, I'm not going to like make this decision and suddenly like God's will for my life is off track. Right. Which is like a, a, a super empowering thing. And at the same time, now the responsibility for choosing, like I have some responsibility to choose. And it's like, you got to make a choice. Like you got to take a step, yeah. you got to take action. Uh, yep. Man, that's that dude, what you're talking about is helpful for me personally, but I know it's helpful mm-hmm. for the audience. Is there any other encouragement you would give people before we kind of move on to the next topic, just about like taking that action and choosing and moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would just say on both ends of the spectrum, it's not up to you. So, so your job in life, if you're someone who's um, really willing to submit to the idea that there's a wisdom beyond yourself that you can tap into and a grace and a love beyond yourself that you can tap into, if you're really sold out on that idea, then number one, it's not up to you because you're not going to be the one to make it happen. And it's also not up to you to like worry about if you're going to get off the wrong path, because there's also grace on that side to, kind of tap you back and say, Hey man, you're actually not that good at this. And there's other things you can do, but good job for experimenting. Let's take those lessons learned and try it on a different trail. So there's grace on both sides. Like you might blow it. That's okay. There's, there's that divine wisdom to help nudge you back towards the the path that might be a little more successful. And then, you know, I think the more steps you take in making those decisions, like the less direct guidance you're going to get, and the more you're going to have to rely on your the own wisdom that's within you. So there's this analogy of this kid who's, you know, eight 
and he asks his dad, hey, can I go throw the Frisbee with my friend? And the dad sometimes says yes, sometimes says no, sometimes it's, there's busy traffic, sometimes, you know, it's not the right crowd or whatever. And uh, the kid's finally an undergrad and he calls his dad. It's like, Hey, can I go out and play Frisbee with my friends? I'm 22 years old in my master's thesis class. And I want to play Frisbee. And the dad's like, are you kidding me? I have given you wisdom. Go and make a decision. Get out. Why are you wasting my time with this? And the more experience you have, the more knowledge you gain, uh, the more ex uh, experiments that you fail and learn from and relationships that you can tap into and resources and books you read, the more your wisdom base grows and so that means the more opportunity you have to apply that wisdom. And so like more and more and more, I think it's less about clear direction and more about uh, applying your knowledge in a way that is wise. You talked earlier about you know, stupidity and bravery, or I can't remember how you framed that, but the intersection of like wisdom and bravery, I think is, is where that place of courage sits, where it's wise, it's brave, but it's also wise. So you're not being totally reckless in that. If that answers your that, question. No, I think it does. That's super helpful. And I, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the way kind of, uh, I, I love that we kind of got into that with the kind of the story about the month of getting the property, because it's like any timidity, you don't have time for timidity in that. Like, and there's times in business where it's like, man, you got to make a lot of decisions really fast. And if you don't have the mindset and the, the heart to be able to step courageously into those, you're up a creek. Okay. So, and I think that kind of pairs well with the, the values discussion that I want to jump into. One of the things that I've observed a lot recently, and I think honestly, it was probably our time at your uh, at, at your spot at Kinship that kind of clarified this for me and kind of brought this uh, in the forefront. Is that there's a difference between a business that has values and a value based business? And truly, my perception is, man, Kinship is a value based business. And I would love for you just to articulate from a leadership perspective, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be values driven and values based? And I'd love for you just use kinship as kind of an example or a model of what that looks like, Bobby. Sure. Well, especially in the Western world, uh, there's one driver which drives most business, and that is profit or money especially successful businesses. If you're unaware of your finances, unless you can fund a lifestyle business, it's, it's probably not going to work unless profit is driving your business. You know, there, are, there are other drivers in the world. I think when values are driving your business, everything else is subservient to those values. So we really want to make a lot of money through our company. We, we want the company to be massively successful but never at the expense of compromise on one of those values. Uh, so it's, it just means to be values driven just means that's the top of the pyramid. And if you don't get through that gate, the answer is no, plain and simple. Can you lay out what y'all have five core values, correct? Can you lay out what they are and maybe even then more than just what they are? Like, I know you are co consistently communicating to your team about like what they mean and how they play out and what, what makes mm -hmm. them unique and what makes them one of the five. So I'd love for you to kind of explain to us the same way you explain to your team and the same way you have your team explain to each other what these values are and why they matter at Kinship. Sure. I think values can be manipulated like anything in the world. And so two things before I answer that question, defining terms is super important. You, you can say the word dough and be talking about money. You can be talking about pizza dough. So to define your terms is so important. And so the way we've defined our core values is with belief statements attached to each value, something that we believe is true about that value. That gets you a little ways down the road. The next thing is just a community of people to hold those values and the meaning and expressions of those values together. So I can say I'm being courageous with this decision and someone else might be like, you're being selfish. I wouldn't call it courageous. Uh, I'd say you're being selfish. So we submit those values to our staff, to our guests, to our board of advisors, to our investors. We submit those values as the cornerstone for dialogue so that out of conversation and dialogue and interaction meaning can be arrived at together so that we're not saying this is courageous because we say it is. So it's a really vulnerable place because you're actually submitting your own actions to those values as the world around you defines them. 
you can push people in a direction towards defining courage a certain way. And that's what we've done with our belief statements, but we give our staff and investors and board and community and guests uh, an invitation to hold us accountable to those values at all the time. So if you're going to start using values as a metric for decision, I would say that's, that's ultimately not really doing anything unless you're submitting that to a broader community that's going to hold you accountable. Otherwise you're just going to justify every decision you want to make. Um, and my team has been so good about calling me out on ways that I thought I was upholding these values and I just wasn't and good friends and family. So there's a little disclaimers there. Our five core values are courage, trust, community, generosity, and adventure. Um, those are the, the values that we use when we make decisions. Uh, courage, what we, what we mean when we say courage is we act with integrity and do what is right in the face of challenges. So even recently, I was provided an opportunity to get something I really wanted and worked really hard for, and I would have had the flub on something that was untrue for about a week. And then we could go back and it, no one would know the difference. And uh, we chose not to do that. And we lost the contract that I'd worked for two months to try and build. And, uh, you know, it was like a $650,000 contract that we lost because I was not willing to say something that wasn't true to check the box and then move it forward. Even if we could uncheck that box later, we just, for me, like courage means do what's right, period, into discussion. And we add that little phrase in the face of challenges because it's easy to do that unless it's challenging. Trust is our second value. Um, by trust, we mean that we choose to believe people are inherently good. So we believe there is this inherent goodness inside of people, not that they are inherently flawed or fallen, but that in the beginning, man was good. And that inherent goodness is within all of us. And so because of that, we trust people and we trust each other. We have a, a fun little saying that goes along with trust. We believe people are inherently good. Um, and then we say, if you give people a chance, nine out of 10 of them are going to be awesome. And pause there. Like you got to give them the chance. It's not just everyone's awesome. You give them a chance to rise. You know, we've seen this with kids who are expected to misbehave. You give them a chance to be better than people think they're going to be nine out of 10 of them are going to rise. What that means is one out of 10 is going to bite you in the butt <laughs> and you just budget for that. You know, you budget for it. You plan on it. You budget your heart. You budget your, your emotions. You budget your money so that when one guest takes advantage of your cancellation policy, that's really generous and trust them not to lie. You're, you're okay. You know, that's going to happen and you've budgeted for it. So it's so fun to just see it. it's actually more like 99 out of a hundred or 999 out of a thousand are going to be awesome. If you give them a chance and you create an environment for that to happen. So that's what we mean by trust generosity. We insist that there is more than enough always. And we look for ways to share it. So a couple terms in there worth defining enough is not necessarily excess. Uh, that means things need to level out. So we insist that there's more than enough money, more than enough time, more than enough uh, fill in the blank. And if we happen to be in a position where we have more than enough, then we look for ways to share it so that that, that enough can be spread out to others. Uh, that one's a tricky one when you're trying to make money and make a lot of money. So it's good. It keeps us mission-based and values-based. Community is the last one. We know we belong together. Um, Sorry, I got two more community. We know we belong together. So uh, independence is, is not really something that we're looking to propagate in the world. It's a really fun and, and great thing, but community says we're interdependent. We know we belong together. And then the last one would be adventure. And we understand adventure to mean we seek experiences that cause us to grow. So that could be an adventure on a mountaintop where you've got to push it a little bit further. That could be an adventure in reading, an adventure in a startup uh, coding class that you take on Udemy in your free time and you do a 1099 Python course. It's an adventure because it's going to cause you to grow. That's how we think about those five core values. Man, uh, yes, I appreciate you for running through those. And the thing that I would just tell everyone is because me and even some of our customers have gotten to spend time at your hotel for our retreat. It's just so cool to see how those five things and kind of everything you just went through, it, it's almost like it operates as like a scalable decision-making framework. And it's like, mm -hmm. man, there was a lot of time where Bobby, like we didn't know where Bobby was, but it's like kinship was doing just fine without Bobby being around the hotel. And it's like those things, those five words 
were truly like being embodied by the staff. Um, and so, man, we could, we could talk so much just about how y'all create that culture and everything associated with that. But uh, I would just tell y'all, this is a great plug. Like if you are in Colorado, you need to go visit Kinship Landing and you can even just go check out mm-hmm. their website. But there's something, there's something really, really special about that space and about the way that they are living out the values. And man, consider it a business expense because you're going to learn so much about organizational culture, just getting to observe that team in action. You've got to go check it out. Um, Bobby, I'd love for people to know before the final question where they can follow you. And then also you were telling me a little bit right before we get started about uh, something that y'all are putting on for specifically startup founders and people that are starting businesses. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that too. Sure. Me personally, I'm I'm not super active on, on the World Wide web. So probably just Colorado Springs. My address is 1120 West Colorado Avenue. Uh, That's where you can find me. Kinship Landing is at kinshiplanning.com. You can learn about events that we host, places you can sleep at our hotel that are nice, food and drink that you can purchase. So that's kinshiplanning.com. We also have an Instagram, Kinship Landing, that we uh, recirculate some fun content. So that's where we are, kinshiplanning.com. 100 years from now, I hope we have a network of hospitality concepts that surrounds the globe that gives people a chance to connect with like-minded travelers and contribute to the communities that they travel to. So my hope is that you'll be able to find a concept like Kinship Lane, Colorado Springs uh, in every continent uh, within the next 100 years so that we can raise the standard by which we travel and um, help make sure we're contributing to the thriving of local communities so hopefully uh, it'll be more than just Colorado in the years to come. But right now we're in Colorado Springs, right downtown. I was telling you about this event. So we've just been so lucky to uh, see success with Kinship Landing. We didn't know that was going to happen. Um, we knew, you know, but we didn't know what that would look like. And it, it could look like learning new stuff and making new friends, or it could have looked like a successful hotel. Looks like it's probably going to be both. The hotel's probably going to work. We're still only about 10 months into operations um, so there's a lot that can change as we've learned from the last few years, but because we've been so lucky, we want to create a space for that to breathe a little bit. And so we're going to be hosting a two day event where we're inviting others who are somewhere near startup, right about to take the plunge or have taken it and are feeling lonely and isolated uh, or, or feeling great, but just want to keep that juju going. We're going to create a two day window for people to come together and be inspired and equipped to continue to push their missions and visions forward um, leveraging that value of community, knowing that we belong together and that the answers to most of our problems are probably in the room. If you've got five or 10 other people there um, and you get them talking openly and courageously about what's really going on. So we're just going to try and look to create a, a little incubator space where circles that don't normally touch can overlap and see how far we can push those, those things forward in the world. That's going to be coming up in April. It'll be a two day event. It'll come with lodging and food and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to shut the hotel down for the sake of trying to multiply businesses in the world that are doing good things. So you can keep it a lookout for that at uh, kinshiplanding.com or on Instagram. We'll be selling tickets starting in January if everything goes according to plan. Well, I mean, just to tag on with regard to what you're saying about uh, that event, um, I would just tell anyone listening to this, like the thing that has stood out to me about Bobby and about the team at Kinship is just that like one of the things that they do distinctively well is they create an environment uh, as, as well as anyone I've ever seen. And so the fact that they're saying that they're going to create an environment for collaboration and to be able to share ideas and where it's not just talking like at people, but truly people talking to each other. Like I just believe that at the core of my being and I believe that it's going to be awesome. And, and then the other thing I would say is they're really good at delivering what they say they're going to deliver. And I know that as a customer. And so I would just tell y'all if that's something that kind of piques your interest, you should definitely kind of go check out kinshiplanding.com and definitely be on the lookout for that event. Um, Bobby, final question for you. And we've talked about this a little bit already, but I think you even kind of alluded to it just with the idea of you've got a vision for where you want the business to be a hundred years from now, because my thought process, whenever you say that is like, well, Bobby may probably won't be here a hundred years from now. Right. So it's like, you're casting a vision beyond yourself. So often we see that the people that we work with being impact driven, man, 
uh, I think they will resonate with you in so many ways in that they've got a big heart. They've got big ideas. They, they love taking action. And at the same time, they have a propensity for wearing themselves too thin and that their ideas becomes the thing that, that literally makes what they're doing unsustainable. And so what is the challenge that you would give to that person or the encouragement that you would give to that person just to do this in a way that reflects the big picture and not just the short term? Sure. I'm, I'm learning this right now. Okay. I'm right in the middle of this. Trust is one of our core values and I need to get out of the way at our, at our hotel. We've got people in place who care more than I ever can and are better than I can ever be in the roles that they're fulfilling. And so I really need to exercise some trust that people are going to be able to do things better than I can and grow the vision and the mission of our company in ways that I never could. It's really hard for me because I care so much. So um, if you are running an impact driven business and you want to see it multiplied, you want to see that mission fulfilled. There are some businesses that are totally healthy as a one man show that exists in the world. That's a model I think is really actually beautiful and great. And if that's you keep running, be your full self, fully present all the time and go for it. If you don't want to be a dependent cog in what you're trying to do in the world, my, my advice would be surround yourself with people you can trust and who are as committed or more than you are to your core values and to your mission, and then get out of the stinking way and, and let them thrive and let them fail and let them experiment and celebrate those failures as opportunities for learning. Give them the room to fail, give them the rope to fail, and then know that you're like, you're teaching them lessons by letting them fail instead of making them copy what you're doing. Because when you're just saying, do it like this, watch me, you take away conviction. Now they're trying to rest on your conviction and that lasts maybe a generation or two. But if someone can learn a lesson firsthand from the source, that's in their bones. So that's what I would say is if, if you're a one man show or a one woman show and that's the model, I think it's great. Keep cruising. Uh, if you want to see it, outlast beyond your time here or your presence in the day-to-day -day operations, surround yourself with people and then trust them. Man, well, I really appreciate your time and your investment, uh, but just as much, I really, really appreciate your example for me and for so many others. So thanks so much, Bobby. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. You guys, you guys have been so fun to work with. And um, part of what's fun about those values is you attract other people who subscribe to those values as well. So it's, it's a real joy to be seeing how you're multiplying courage, trust, community, adventure, and generosity in the world. You know, I, you didn't pick that up from us. And so it's, it's great. Thanks for what you're doing in that way. Appreciate you. Thanks, Bobby. We'll see you. Man, there's so much that stands out about that conversation, but I think the thread that kind of weaves through the whole thing for me is just the sense of authenticity and humility that Bobby carries with him. And I think we should all take that as inspiration that we're not expected to always be right, but it is good for us as a leader to always be real. And I think the confidence associated with being someone that can own their mistakes, that can aspirationally move forward, and that can believe in the power of people to get things done together Man, I think that's so exemplary in Bobby's story and who he is. And I think that's something that we can all learn from and strive to become more of. So, Bobby, thank you for your time. Thank you for your investment. And thank you for your example. Hey, real quick, before we go today, many of you are already part of this list, but if you're not, every Wednesday we send out an email called Worth It Wednesday. That's because I just have this personal belief that most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. So we set out to create one that was. Every Wednesday we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. That's why we call it Worth It Wednesday. So if you want to get uh, on that email list and be part of that growing community of impact-driven leaders, just click the link that's in the show notes. Hey, you know this. We're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. Our whole team wants to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.